0: The Provoke Podcast, brought to you by Provoke Media and produced by the International Broadcast Specialist, Marketeers.
1: Welcome, everybody another edition of the Provoked Media Podcast. Um, I am very fortunate to be joined here today by three representatives of PROI, that's Public Relations Organization International, uh, which is, I think it's fair to say, the largest network of independent public relations firms around the world um and we have representatives from three continents on our call today um as we set out to discuss some of the issues facing um women entrepreneurs in the public relations business um women leaders in the public relations business and um And some of the differences, perhaps, in style and priorities um, that have begun to emerge as our industry has welcomed more and more female leaders. I think we'll start by going around the the table or the screen or whatever um, and just have people quickly introduce themselves and maybe... um, Maybe tell us a little bit about what prompted them to start their own businesses and um, and whether there were experiences in other workplaces that made them feel that it was necessary to start their own business in order to to achieve their goals in the PR business. And and, um, because I um, have. Uh, Baba, in the top left-hand corner, I'm going to ask her to go first. Baba.
2: Okay, so um, hello, everyone. My name is Baba Kofi. I'm a managing partner at Mahogany Consult. Mahogany Consult is in Ghana, West Africa, and I'm very excited to be here uh, with all of you ladies and gentlemen. So um, a bit about my, um, how I got into entrepreneurship, you know, I always call myself, I've always called myself an entrepreneur at heart. And uh, that's because I just, I get excited when I discover opportunities, you know, to come up with a strategy to do something, you know, and also the desire to create employment for somebody else. Um, I, I worked in uh, Sachi and Saatchi, uh before I started Mahogany Consult with my business partner Issy. And during that period, uh, we got a lot of training, you know, we had a lot of experience. But at a point, I realized that we could actually do something bigger, you know, uh, in the, the PR space. And there were a few boardroom issues, so we decided to jump ship and start our own agency. And today we are 10 years uh, in business this year, doing great. We are top three, part of top three agencies in Ghana and we are very excited, you know, to be to be here. So that's just a little uh, brief.
1: Well, as, as promised, it's probably worth noting that uh, Ghana is one of the two or three best developed public relations markets uh in sub-saharan Africa um it's um it's it's a market where we get a lot of really good award entries and a lot of good award judges and uh we always see a huge representation from ghana at the african public relations association meetings so uh, a thriving market that's um it's great that you're doing so well in it um i'm working my way clockwise so claire um tell us a little bit about your background
3: Hello, so I'm Claire Parsons. I co-founded Lansons in London in 1989. So I've got quite a lot of a generational shift in how I started Lansons. And um, it's over three decades we've been in business. So I set up in Lanson, at Lansons um, when I joined the city of London, the business environment, where I was in Cheapside. And Cheapside was largely Um, organizations that were global in their attitude, but still deeply rooted for me in the past. In when I say that, it is that they were largely run by men um, with organizational structures where throughout the business and seniority, they were largely run by men. And women might have had some place as in those days, personnel heads. Now, I enjoyed it. I was at Hugh Rogerson and um, they were doing a lot of the privatizations there. They were intra- in, uh, integrated communication organizations. But I also um, found that I was working with a lot of entrepreneurs and these happened to be entrepreneur men and they talked to me about launching my own business and that became quite interesting um, my agency at the time was brought back by Duke Rogerson, and that was the catalyst for me to say, do you know, I'm going to be brave enough to do this. So it was a combination, really, of the right time. I had a lot of backing from other entrepreneurs who were my clients. Um, and I knew that if I wanted to have an unfettered chance of in, in my life of doing great things, I believed I had a better chance of doing that as an independent. And I joined Tony, my now um, partner, to build Lancers. And I believe we have a legacy and we have built a business that has a legacy based on having no glass ceiling and having everybody having the opportunity to make something of themselves. But hopefully we'll go into a little bit more of that later. Thank you. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. Um, And Amy, you have yet another slightly different story. You come from an entrepreneurial family, but uh, how did that influence your decision?
0: Yeah, you know, it's funny. I think I've come from a very different uh, background. I uh, worked in a small agency in Boston, then went to join my father's firm, Ruder Finn, along with two siblings. And in the mid-90s, I decided I wanted to go back to to school, and I went to Columbia Business School and got an MBA. And that's what really led me to want to leave and start my own business. Uh, It was an amazing opportunity. Uh, Not only did I come from an entrepreneurial family, because my father was obviously an entrepreneur, but having gone through business school, it really gave me insights into what starting a company entailed. Um, and so I started my own company in 2001. It was originally part of, uh, Ruderfin. It was an independent subsidiary. I got to move into my own space and set up all my, uh, you know, own administrative uh, tasks. And then I ultimately split off from them. Um, but my path was really driven to have gotten to business school. And, and that sort of gave me the confidence, uh, that I could set up my own business and do it my own way, which was very different than my family had been doing it.
1: Cool. So three different stories there. And one of the things that I like about the makeup of the panel actually is not only do we have um three different uh continents represented, but um I think we have three different generations uh represented. I, I I'm not going to speculate about the age of anybody on this call. Um this is more about the age of your firms, that they were set up at slightly different times. Um, and I wonder, therefore, whether the challenges that you faced in setting up your firms were different depending on on the era. And um, Claire, I'll, I'll go to you first, because um, Lansons was clearly the, the earliest of the three firms on the panel to be represented. Tell me what it was like to be a female entrepreneur in the public relations business uh, back in the 80s
3: combination of things one is it was incredibly rare that women were around in any seniority whatsoever and in those businesses it was very unusual and we had so many um, established names that even exist today saying we'd never make it there was something really interesting about um, uh, just doing it in your own way Amy that's exactly how we regarded it we wanted to make our mark we wanted to be different. Um, and I think part of it, therefore, was was, um, the freedom we had of not following any path ahead of us. We were making our own judgment about the type of business we wanted, and I think I've often talked about how, in business at the time, I think there were very male structures in those, and therefore, your behaviors, if you're in my generation, were very much driven by Um, I mean, there's a story about uh, my boss, Tony Collisle. At the time, I was in a large meeting with 20 people with um, uh, all the financial advisors for, I think it was TSB that's converting um, from a mutual into a quoted company. I've been there a week and Tony Collisle pointed to me and said, you, if you're not going to contribute in this meeting, you can get out. And from that point, the whole point was being in a meeting was to speak up, was to bring your ideas to it and to be challenged and challenging in a conversation. And what I've learned, I think the biggest lesson is that there are some times when you do shut up, there are times to listen, and there's time to actually get as many people around the table to offer their views than not only having to have your own. So, generationally, there are many different things in our time, it was unusual. Back then, of course, we didn't have mobile phones, we were just having computers, Um, we sent our press release via bikes, um, to the journalist offices. Um, then we still worked a lot in politics as well and with government. And we were doing broad stakeholder things, but it was a very, very different environment. And we were taught you had to be out there at parties networking in your own self. And so your personality meant you had to be doing things, which I think is very, very different than you have to be today.
1: Amy, what about your perspective um, in, in the U.S. and the timing of your launch? I mean, I think probably at that time there was a generation of firms coming along that were founded by and led by women that were doing quite well in in areas like healthcare and technology and and public affairs and and um, especially in the consumer and fashion spaces. Um, you chose to carve out something that was a little different than any of that, really. Um, but, but did you face any of the same skepticism that Claire talked about?
0: So my challenge was I started my company on March 1st, 2001. And I carved the business that I ran out of Ruder Finn, of which a lot was a dot com. So before, first we had 9-11. And then we had the dot-com bust. So I don't really think I had challenges. I mean, again, you know, going to business school really prepared me well because I knew that I had to have a strong relationship with my bankers. You know, I started going out with them two or three times a year socially. You know, I put in place the structure that made sure that from... An operational point of view, we didn't have any issues, but we faced an incredible disaster when we got to the end of the year between 9 11 uh, and the dot com bus. And I remember Bill Heyman, who was a good friend, said to me, Amy, if you can make it through this, you'll make it through anything. And he was absolutely right. I never felt any challenges really as a woman in starting a business. Um, you know, I I had senior men on my team, and I used to say to people, listen, you go into a meeting with a diversity of people, they might like you, they might like me, I don't really care who they like, as long as they like one of us. Um, And so, you know, we really didn't face challenges, we grew our business, 2002 was a big struggle, Um, but after 2002 we got back on our feet. Um, we went from doing dot-com business really back to our heritage. Mine was doing a lot of financial services. I mean, 50% of our business is financial services and corporate. The other 50% is consumer. Uh, and we always thought that was interesting because you could always do more innovative things on the consumer side of the business first and then bring them onto the corporate side. And so we liked that combination. But I personally never felt challenges uh, as a woman running the business um, there are lots of men that love to work with women and there are lots of men who prefer to work with men and I gave them a choice. Um, and that's kind of how we've run our business, uh, ever since.
1: Right. Um, Barbara, your experience again, um, is presumably a little different you. Um, you're the most recent of our entrepreneurs here, um, starting a firm in an environment, um, where women's empowerment had already become part of the sort of global discussion. Tell me about your experiences in that regard.
2: Yes. Um, so for us, again, we started Mahogany with a lot of um, excitement uh, and a uh, passion. You know, for PR, the biggest struggle for us was that we had zero understanding of business, unlike you know, Emmy. Uh, you know, who had gone to business school and understood what she was doing. It was just with our hearts and our emotions, you know, just get out there and make a difference and change the world, you know, and that's what we wanted to do. And um, that that made us struggle uh, at the beginning um, because in, in terms of even who to hire, you know, we would um, sit on an interview panel and the person who we feel, you know, <laughs> The most pitiful, you know, recruits. Um, and so f- for us, I think it was that a feminine side of us got the better of us than the business, you know, um, side side of us. In terms of actually um registering the company and starting it, no, we we had very little uh, challenges. The, the only other challenge, perhaps, I would want to talk about were some clients who were still not comfortable or who, who felt, who are these young girls, you know, sitting in front of me and trying to give me counsel on this business I have run for 20 years? What do they know? So we had the issue of, you know, a few um anti you know uh women entrepreneurs but even more uh the age difference because we were quite young we still are young anyway you know and 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 that for us was a, a huge factor but over time over time and um, as the narrative you know of, of women empowerment and, and equity etc um has really resounded in ghana and um it's it's, it's incredible how we have gained rather as a result of the fact that we are women. And now in Ghana, we have so many women leaders and women have become an inspiration, you know, leaders that you can look up to. And although when we started Mahogany, there was only one woman, just like Claire, you know, uh, one woman who had a PR agency. She was the only one. All the other agencies were multinationals, you know, or had partnerships and all of that. And now, you can count so many other, you know, agencies who, which are run um, by women. Yes.
1: Claire, I want to. I, I want to come back to something that you said um, that that I thought was interesting and illustrative of of some of the issues. Certainly. Um, you know some time ago but i suspect many of them linger today you were you were talking about being urged to speak up in in meetings and it's always seemed to me that women in our business and particularly women in leadership or co- consulting positions in in our business have to be more conscious of the tightrope that that they walk in in sort of w- how assertive they are um how willing to speak up they are in meetings um balancing that maybe with the with the awareness that if they speak up too much there are men who are going to think that they're um pushy um you know there there is a word that begins with b that i have heard over and over again applied to female leaders in our business that I very rarely heard applied to men who behave in an almost identical fashion. Um, There are just, there have always seemed to me to be different standards for women in leadership. Um, And either you're too assertive, or you're too quiet, or, but you're constantly being judged on that. Did you, feel, did you feel a lot of that when you were starting out, or, and, and were you able to ignore it or find a solution?
3: I think you have to ignore it, because if you're going to be successful, you never know at the time, do you? You set something up, and you have no idea the scope and size of which you're going to do. And B, so you have to be true to yourself, and you have to play to your own strengths. And I think that you have to be mindful of what's around you. But I think it's more important today that we recognize that there's a value in diversity around a table. There's a, there's a value in that in the organization and we're advising our clients on the value of that. And that is very different in each place. And I think as we increase our consultancy, it becomes something we are conscious of ourselves but we have to believe in ourselves. So it's much more, I think, now about seeing the external factors. Something I've got from PROI, actually, which made a big difference to me. I was the, I have to say this, the first and so far only woman who has been global chair of PROI in 50 years. But the point about that was it was an amazing opportunity to speak to the board from all around the world because culturally people are different too. So, we have personality differences, we have cultural differences, we've got different, um, uh, uh, we bring something else to the table. So, for me now, I am more interested in trying to give women and men the tools to navigating sensibly and sensitively. To get the best out of the people around you, and that's what leadership looks like now. Although I'm involved in the 30% club and and, um, some women on boards work, and there's a lot that businesses are now having to do to coach women, senior women, to be panelists, to go on to news programs, to face the type of scrutiny often, Paul, that you allude to as well, because women do face a higher level of scrutiny they are looked at in a way and standards are different. But equally, most of us who are up there, just get on with it. So at the beginning you're aware of it, but you can't carry it for long.
1: Baba, you, you, you mentioned the, um, the challenge uh, that you sometimes had being taken seriously by I'm assuming mostly male clients. Um, did did you find a did you find a sort of simple solution to, um, to proving your value to to skeptical men? Um, is there a is there an answer to that, or um, is it a case by case thing where you just have to prove that you're giving good advice and that you know what you're talking about? Yes, yeah, so uh, that is
2: where the quality of our work and the ability to provide the right counsel, you know, based on scientific research. And when data tells a story, it's very, you know, difficult to to see it otherwise. And so I think AC and I deliberately had to go all out to get the best tools to put together the best strategies and present, and sometimes we need to push You know, for appointment times and the opportunity to present um, communication strategies for free, just so that we'll get the message, you know, out there that this is, uh, you need to take us seriously. We are professionals. We know what we are doing. We are here to present you the best strategy to move your business forward. And that was, you know, the, the only way out. I remember one CEO of a huge hospital here in Ghana saying that, wow, so this is what you guys do? Wow. I dove my hats to you because from the beginning, it felt like, yeah, you know. So it was that, that process of coming up with that quality, you know, of work. And over time, we've had to sustain it because, again, as Claire said, when you are a woman, it's as though you need to still prove yourself and you need to keep on proving yourself. But it starts with believing in what you have so that you can present that to them. And over time, you are accepted.
1: Right. Amy, um, one of the one of the things that that I've read a lot about over the last couple of years um, when it comes to women in business in particular and women in leadership positions in, in particular um, is that there's a higher incidence of imposter syndrome um, among women that that sort of belief that that they're, you know, maybe not. Um, not as great as everybody thinks. I I've always felt that that imposter syndrome was both natural and healthy. I have a slight distrust of anybody who doesn't have at least some of that. Mm. Um, but um, did did you find did did you ever ever suffer from those kind of insecurities? And how much did the the sort of going back to school um, uh, cure you of that?
0: So, you know, one of the reasons that one of the things that drove me back to school was in the early 90s, I started working for Citibank. And, you know, there was um, a sense of I was just a PR person and and all the marketing people were MBAs. And so I really didn't get it. And so that's kind of what drove me to this decision. I'd always wanted to go to business school. My father was really into the arts. He thought it was a waste of time. Um, and I finally said, I'm doing it and And I ended up taking a lot of courses like you know in the finance area, so it really strengthened my um, belief in myself and my ability to work with financial services institutions. So I didn't really have that sense of an imposter, but I see it with a lot of young women who come in and work with me. Um, where they really need their confidence built up. Um, and I re- remember in the 90s, I used to talk to Dave Drobis, who was running Ketchum in PRSA, and he would talk about APR. And I said, listen, I don't want to see APR after anyone's name. I want to see MBA or JD. You know, get have people really feel confidence in the knowledge that they bring. Data science um, and so I think it's an issue that a lot of women have, and I think going to school and getting a graduate degree does help build your confidence. Um, and I think it's really important. I mean, something that Claire and Baba said is, you know, if you walk into a room and a man is skeptical about your abilities, if you come out with really good advice and you're really smart, And you can make a difference for their business. That's the only thing that they'll react to. And so I think that is one of the things that's so critical um, in running any business and any entrepreneur, right, is you have to have impact and you have to show that what you're bringing to them is real value. Um, And, you know, that's, I think, one of the things that has been important to uh, the success of our binder um and you know I think we 've been really lucky in terms of of having great clients who've allowed us to bring value to them because part of it is it's it 's also a partnership um but that 's how, as a woman, I think you can convince people that y- you 'll make a difference for them is if you're bring value and having an impact
1: right so one of the things that that um has been apparent to me as we've covered the business over the years. Um, is that until relatively recently, it was very difficult for women in the big publicly held companies to, um, to elevate themselves to the C-suite and to the CEO's office in particular. And I think until about seven or eight years ago, um, if you wanted to be the CEO of a public relations firm, you almost had to start your own. Um, now we've seen something of a change in that regard over the last over the last few years. And so, you know, we had Donna Imperato at BCW, we had Anna Maria De Salva um at k we had um uh, Barry Rafferty at Ketchum for a while, um, we had Gail Hyman at Weber Shandwick, and, and suddenly we were in an environment where half of the the top 10 agencies were being led by women, and, and um, I think as our industry has an occasional tendency to do, um, we started patting ourselves on the back um about you know how how we solved the 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 age old problem and and you know we we still see this right i mean we do best agencies to work for research, which gives us a lot of demographic information on the p r industry and the reality is that at the um twenty to thirty age range uh, we're looking at an industry that is somewhere between sixty-five and seventy percent female, and then in the um, fifty-plus or or even forty-plus age range, we're looking at an industry that is somehow majority male, um, which suggests to me that if we have solved the problem, it's been more a few exceptional circumstances than it has been a, a collective triumph over. All of the factors that lead women to leave our industry all of this I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, i 'm sorry i don 't mean to turn this into a monologue that there 's been progress, um, but there are still issues that need to be addressed what what 's your feeling as a and you know I, i'm happy to go round the the screen or to have everybody jump in with their own thoughts but what 's your feeling about sort of the progress we 've made? and the challenges that we still face? So, Claire?
3: Yeah. so I think there's a variety of things in there and I think it's really important to embrace um, those things that there are now more women in business and the pipeline that you, are, you talked about is exactly what the issue is. So why aren't more women staying through as they progress in their careers and their lives change and um not all women are carers but a lot of them are and that extra burden um is difficult and all the research shows that during covid some of those traditional bases of how women and men used to work women take more care of children the man doesn't have actually come back so there's a huge amount of research to show that's that has been a problem which means it could well be something in the future we'll start seeing um, as well i go back to the gender pay gap um, we've always had more women in power. We've all had, always had more women who own part of the business. We have never had a significant gender pay gap. We're small enough now. We know three people have gone on maternity leave, and that's why. So we absolutely manage and understand the significance of keeping women in our workforce and men and trying to actually build something that has both thriving through it but also, you know, the world is changing. We can work from home a little bit more now. We don't have to be present all the time. I think this notion of what leadership looks like is different and where our clients on the other side also, where mine at the beginning were all men, they are no longer all men. And so again, the brilliant thing, is that important actually from a London business scene, they're not all white men, they're not all white men and white women, they are different people. And that's, I think, a real excitement change, exciting change for us all that I think is going to um, show a future that will be a really interesting one and have its own set of challenges too. So I think money is important. Um, Paul, you might remember at the beginning, um, um, so I suspect we may well have, have travelled a bit of this, that same period. When I first had a job, I was told that a man who had a family was, should have the next promotion over a single woman. And that was just like, God, we should really glory in our changes. That no longer would exist. Our HR practices are stronger. We recognize that's wrong. So I think there's massive opportunity now for everyone, which is important. And our job collectively is to make sure all the talent remains, whoever they are, If I can
0: build on that for a second, Paul, you know, I think one of the challenges is exactly what you said is keeping women in the workforce because they start out and then they leave. And I think one of the opportunities that we have as a female run company is to create an environment in which we can keep women. And I do agree with Claire that that because of COVID and the ability to work from home, um, it really allows us to do that more. And I, and I think that as a female-run company, as each one of us, if we've had children, um, we know what it's like. I mean, I never stopped working. I've worked all the way through all three of my children. The longest I took off was a month and the shortest was an hour and a half. Um, because back in those days, you had to, but we don't; they don't have to do that anymore. And I I think we have a responsibility to create an environment, not only for women, but for men also. I mean, we give, uh you know, second caregivers time off after a child. And I, I think the only way we're going to change the dynamic of senior women, having more senior women, is keeping women in the profession, in the workforce, um, and encouraging them to do better. I mean, we've sponsored a number of women to go on and get MBAs, and we've helped pay for it. So I think that's our responsibility, and that's the way we're going to change the dynamic. And while we have women running large firms today, there's no guarantee it's going to be that way tomorrow. And so we've got to change that dynamic, and, and each one of us has an opportunity to do that.
3: And we're probably training next generations. So if you think right. about everything, all of us have. I don't mean to be to, to blow up going if we are allowed to on this topic. We are the role models that we, yeah. I didn't see. I did not see them when I was young. And we are those people. And that really genuinely is inspiring. I'm sure all of us have had people who work with us saying how much it meant to them as well. And that's okay. We're allowed not to have to be modest all the time, which again is a problem sometimes with women. We're not allowed to say, haven't we
0: been great? Yeah, I mean, I remember growing up, my mother said to me, you can't work, have a child, and be married at the same time. And my response yeah. to her was, who wrote that rule? I mean, <laughs> that's not a rule I'm going to subscribe to. Um, yeah. And there were very few
2: role models,
0: very
1: I'm few. i sure it was somebody who looks a lot like me and not like you, but... Anyway. <laughs> uh, Baba, you...
2: Yes, I mean, um, well, your mom, um, I I should tell her that actually I was in uh, bed for six months uh, to have my baby. I was in hospital for six months to have a baby and every single day of those six months I was working because I had my um, laptop right in front of me, you know, and running a business from hospital, <laughs> you know, so yes, the the dynamics have really changed, and I I agree with you, um, of course, that we need to empower you know more women uh, so that they can step up to leadership. One of the challenges that we have uh, found at Mahogany is when we have young you know women join us, the issue of uh, confidence you know is 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 really huge and critical. <laughs> Uh, it's taken a lot of um, training, encouragement, inspiration. And there are those many times you have to have those pep talks. You know, you you have to encourage them. You need to find a way so that they believe in themselves some more to take up leadership roles. And when they do get there, it is still not smooth sailing. You know, you need some sustenance support. But we, we realize that it's the only way really to get them to that level because they do deserve it because they are hardworking, because they are intelligent and they get the job done and so for us here at Mahogan, it's a conscious mentoring um session a number of sessions that we have for these young women because we don't want them to be at the top and we, we don't want to lose them as well yes
1: oh paul you're on mute Baba, I want to stay with you for a second um, and ask you, um, there there are certain leadership characteristics, um, you know, uh, greater empathy, greater collaboration, um, that I think many of us tend to associate with, with female leaders in particular. Um, every time there's an example of toxic male leadership in the news, Um, there are alternative views that say, you know, if we had more women in leadership, this kind of stuff wouldn't happen. Um, I'm always a little concerned that that in itself is a very gendered (laughs) assumption. But at the same time, I can't help thinking that some of the things that have happened in our industry over the last few years um particularly focus on mental health issues for example and the amount of stress that many um sort of rank and file public relations people feel every day um we've had more focus on those things because we have women leaders who are more who, who can identify more or um empathize more with that kind of stress and strain do you think that there is a female leadership style that is different from the sort of male dominated world of 20 years ago so um i I don't think it's a perhaps a conscious
2: uh females leadership style but it is kind of woven into our DNA somehow. But yes, I believe that uh, women tend to be more empathetic. However, I also see that narrative changing because I think the men are are, are learning um, from us. But, but it's because of our nurturing nature. It is so easy, you know, it comes second skin to us. So for instance, I remember uh, one of our managers who was pregnant, she had a stitch. It was just a stitch, you know, and she just screamed, you know, out. And Issy and I were like frantic, get home, take some days off. You know, and she, she, she said, Oh, I'm fine. No, you're not fine because we are women. We just understand it, you know. And then, so for instance, every Monday morning when we have a um, morning meeting, Issy would ask everyone, How was your weekend? You know, what did you do? How is the family? etc, etc. So these were not consciously built into the structures of Mahogany, but it it just came out of our own um, natural um, nurturing system. But we find it very useful and very um, important to our staff. And so it has become over time leadership style and it is quite different from men because we worked under a man as well you know in such and such prior to um, setting up uh, mahogany and yes he was a very nice person good leader but we did not experience you know at the time you know that kind of engagement that kind of emotional bond We did not um, experience it and so yes i think it has become over time but but the men are learning and very quick and COVID has even made it um more it's, it's been easier because now we realize that it is no longer just about the work people are looking for more than a salary people are looking for a place to belong and so it is becoming um more than um just you know women picking that up
1: yes Amy, any, any thoughts? Yeah. Um,
0: I think you have to be careful in this area because, on the one hand, I think women are more nurturing. I think they're consensus builders. I think they do have empathy. The problem is that they're all, any entrepreneur has to be tough, right? So when you get to the point of the, what you made earlier about the B word, um, you know, then there's, okay. There's a combination. Nobody's that simple. Nobody's that flat. I think that women bring into the workplace, particularly if they're an entrepreneur, um, an empathy and caring and nurturing, but they're also tough and they got to run a business. And sometimes they got to make really tough decisions. Um, And that's not in opposition to the nurturing piece. Um, but they go together, and so I think that it's not simply. I do think women have a very different style, but that style is bringing both the toughness and the nurturingness together, uh, and creating an environment in which you can have both.
1: Right, and Claire, I, I mean, I I started out this section by this section by talking about um, the focus that our industry has um, put on mental health over the last two or uh, two or three years um probably belatedly um but it does seem that a lot of that has been driven by the higher eq that we see from from so let, let's say a new generation of leaders which includes more women than than the older generation of leaders um and by an understanding of what it is that women employees in particular have to um, ha- have to bring to the table because the work-life balance expectations are often very different. Um, what have you seen in terms of our, our the evolution of our thinking around those issues?
3: I think all of this is, I mean, I agree with what everybody's been saying about it. I'd start with saying it is about logic and empathy. I think we have to, know that as business leaders, we have to have both. But I think your point around um, understanding our people more. And if we understand our people, we understand the life pressures that they go through. And we decide as business leaders, how much we want to bring that into our business. So um, I think it's also a, I, I wouldn't say it's a fashion because that suggests it's not a really important issue. But I think we're currently going through that point where people are realizing more, we are, as businesses, having to structure things around people. I think um, COVID has made people, as we know, young people, have had a really tough time in this. And they bring that to the office. And if we want to be offices that that, you you are allowed to be authentic in, then we are are tackling all these things. And there's no doubt that... um, Uh, this whole area of things like um, uh, our mental health and um, how we're responding to stress and the right balance is something that we have as business leaders got to be very, very aware of. Um, It's almost on every panel discussion, isn't it? It's almost on um, every debate around how people are coping. I wonder whether the words will change though. Because um, I, was t- I was talking to the head of Clifford Chance's um, diversity piece, and um, they're talking about not work-life balance, but the balance of work and home. And they're trying to shift it a little bit at the moment because um, uh, it's probably going on too long. Um, but this, this notion of how we are managing um, our work-life balance, I think is going to be higher up the scale uh, for us though in this it's just one part of running an office and so we're more interested in in um uh, but, but i think you're right i you know we're running a business that has a place in the community it has a place um that has a responsibility we're very lucky to have jobs um, we expect to contribute in a wider way uh Lance's always has whether it is donating um, um, a percentage of our profits to charity uh, we care about people that comes up very high with great place to work so all of those aspects mean that our uh, people who want to look in thinks we're too think we're too empathetic and that if you are in the business that runs like this and you believe that they're useful I think it is around um, leaving a footprint in the sand and it is around good behaviors and I think this all comes from good behaviours. Great.
1: I'm gonna um, I'm gonna try and squeeze in one last question. Um, we don't have a lot of time left, so brief answers are better. Which is a little unfortunate because it's a big question, as you might expect. But I'm wondering um, how we all feel about the next generation. Of women in the public relations business, um, I've I've been writing about this long enough to remember the the sort of something between skepticism, scorn, and hostility that welcomes each new generation as they come into the public relations workplace with their unreasonable expectations and their you know uh, their their me first attitudes. And I mean, I've heard every trope that you could imagine about why the next generation is not as good as whatever your generation happened to be. Um, But it does seem to me that that the younger generation of of women have different ideas, and and indeed the younger generation generally, have different ideas about what they expect from work, uh, what is reasonable for them to be asked to do um how much purpose they want to derive from the work that they do. Um how do we, how do we all feel about the next generation of of leaders, um I- female leaders in particular in our business, and um how we nurture them and make them successful, Amy?
0: You know, look, I think the next generation is different and as you say, every generation is different. Um, I remember growing up that the generation before me was critical of us. Um, I think that what we need to do is listen and hear and learn and find a way to help them and mentor them, but they're going to help us and mentor us too. Um, They're going to change us because everything that we think is necessarily right. Um, And I think that uh, I've got some terrific absolutely young women working for me who are 25, 26, 27 year olds, and I hope they stay with me for their career um, because they're absolutely fabulous. And yeah, they're looking for purpose in their jobs without question, but that that makes sure that we can help provide that through the company. So I think that a lot of the belief systems that we have that maybe get pushed off to the side because we say, oh, we have to generate money and income and we have things that we have to address, they're not going to let us do that. And I think it's really healthy. Um, I think conversations between generations is really important. Um, I think it will make us as a society a better society. Um, and I'm, I'm very excited about um, what what the young people in my company are really enabling us to do because they're challenging us every day. So I think it's a great thing.
1: Barbara, what are you seeing? What are the what are the opportunities for young women in in your part of the world and, and in the PR industry? And the yes. Creative so industry um,
2: sorry. So I think we are seeing two uh, types of young people. For both of them are very different. Both sides are very different from who we know ourselves to be. Um, but so I see these um, very feisty, creative, out of this world. Kind of young people who want to um, change the world but not necessarily in the way we expect them to you know and then there is that other uh, group of young people who are not sure of themselves who are not even certain if they really want to you know walk that path you know and so they come in and uh, they are not sure they go out you know another comes in goes out that kind of thing Um, but for these young people who who want to change the world but have different mindsets. I think it is for us to embrace and to be open and and have those conversations with them about, yes, this is the way we want to do things. Uh, This is the way you think we should do things. How do we collaborate and how do we partner? Because I tell you, um, I am not that old, as I said earlier. However, I also have some... 24, 25, 26 year olds at Mahogany and the way their brains work, I have no idea. I don't know how they go to bed and come up with all these very interesting, crazy ideas that clients love, you know, and I'm like, okay, I mean, that's interesting. So I also want to keep them, um, but sometimes you can't tame them enough, you know, and so Yeah, we need to be working together, and 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 get to that point where okay, we understand each other. Um, but I love them. I see the potential. We want to mentor them, and we need to teach ourselves that we we don't need to mentor them to be like us, right? But we need to mentor them into leadership, where they can also take the organization to the next level.
1: Claire, the good news is you get the last word. The bad news is that we only, we only have another minute or two to go. So okay, it's a it time of opportunity.
3: opportunity. There's immense talent out there. They should just be going for it. And they shouldn't settle for things. Why should they? None of us settle for things. We've launched our own businesses because we weren't prepared to do it. It's the time for female founders, which is really important, do their own thing. Doesn't matter what size it is. They can shape their destinies and the type of work they want to be in in any way they choose. And if they want a big company, there's loads of chance. And we do need to be challenged. I agree, Amy. We do know that they think differently and that's exciting, Baba. So I think it's a really exciting time for the talent that's coming through and they are exciting, but I also believe our job is to actually help them um, find a way through that perhaps it wasn't, you know, it was a little bit more difficult for us. So I think we have an obligation to the future. (laughs)
1: that's great thank you so much Uh, thank you Baba, Amy and Claire thank you to PROI for sponsoring this Provoke Media podcast Uh, thank you to our audience we'll be back soon with more stimulating content Um, I hope this has provided plenty of food for thought thanks very much bye bye
0: You've been listening to the Provoke podcast, brought to you by Provoke Media and produced by the international broadcast specialist, marketers.